Amen. The oldest group of freshwater kids is going to make their way out of the room. Um, uh, uh, by the way, I'll just kind of give this uh, little statement about freshwater kids. You know, a lot of people think about the uh, children's program or whatever you want to call it in a church, and they think about, well, that's, uh, you know, babysitting so the adults can pay attention to the preaching and to whatever, um, you know, so they're not distracted because of, you know, whatever, the things that get in our minds. And I want you to know that uh, we don't see freshwater kids as being that at all. We see freshwater kids as being one of the, the most vital engines by which we fulfill our mission in helping the people of our community and world become totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. So freshwater kids is an avenue by which disciples are made. And I would say, it's my belief, it is the primary avenue that um, God is using in this church at this point. I mean, if you walk back there, um, there are just a ton of kids. And I just think to myself, boy, if we as parents and if we as a church can do our uh, duty and... Uh, you just raise them, those children in the ways the Lord point them toward the cross and disciple them and then send them out into the world. Wow. What a wonderful um, thing that would be. So um, with that having been said, I'm going to ask you to take your copy of God's Word and turn it to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 as we talk today about the Holy Spirit in a world that hates us. That's going to be page 901, I think, in your pew Bible. If you've got one of those close to us, it might be 902. Um, somewhere along that. I'm Joshua. I'm the lead pastor here at Freshwater. So um, we are, if you're a guest with us this morning, know that we're ecstatic to have you with us. And I always hang out at the back door. So on your way out, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you before you leave for the day. I will tell you ahead of time, as you're turning to John chapter 15, that when we are addressing a place in God's word, which we do every single Sunday, it's always my job as the preacher to consider a lot of different things. So obviously, I need to know what the text means. I need to know what it meant to the original audience. Um, I need to know how the text translates to us today and applies to the way that we as Christ followers should live. And no matter what the scripture is, I'm always, okay, I'm always gauging. Okay, what the Bible says today and what we're going to cover in God's word, this is going to be either really difficult for us to swallow and for us to grab hold of and for us to accept, or maybe this is going to be... Not really that difficult and pretty easy for us to accept and for us to swallow. Or maybe it's somewhere along that spectrum, somewhere in the middle. And I'm always thinking about that and trying to find out, okay, how can I communicate the truth in God's word according to the resistance that you and I are going to have in our hearts when we're confronted with what God tells us? And this week, in studying this text, I've concluded that this scripture is going to be incredibly difficult for many of us to embrace. So I'm going to warn you ahead of time that when we come to the Bible, we don't come bringing with us what we want a life that is following Christ to look like. We don't bring with us our presuppositions and our ideas and, you know, what we want Christianity to be and what we want the God of the Bible to be. And then we, we, we slap that on the Bible or slap that on, uh, you know, God himself. That's not what we want to do at all. That's not the way that we want to operate. Instead, we want to come to his word and we want to pray that God would open our minds and open our hearts to his word so that we would be receptive to whatever he says. No matter if it's last week when Jesus looks in the crowd and he says, hey, guess what, guys? Um, repent or you're going to hell. That's a pretty difficult one. Or if we get to this week's text, which is going to be a very difficult teaching as well, whatever it is, we come allowing our life to be built on what God says. That's our starting point as Christians. 
Now, before I tell you what I'm going to be driving toward this morning, let me remind you of something that you may have seen. I didn't watch the video, and I didn't watch the video because I honestly didn't know if I could do it and I could handle it. But um, you certainly saw it at least referenced or posted on Facebook. You maybe even watched the video in its entirety. It was around February of 2015. And everybody in here knows what is going on with ISIS and the Middle East and that mess and um, you know, just, just everything that's happening and how they swept across significant portions of the Middle East. And the things that they're doing, if you keep track of that, if you're listening to that, are really unimaginable. I mean, it's really horrible. There is indisputable evidence. They're killing men, women, children, babies, whatever they have to, to advance their cause. Well, this video that was released was meant to be yet another propaganda video to recruit fighters, and what I've read about it, it shows 21 men that are restrained, they're being marched down what would normally be a beautiful coastline, eventually some commentary is given, and that's when these 21 men, all dressed in orange jumpsuits, are beheaded. And the video states that these 21 men are being killed because they are, and I'm quoting the makers of the video, they are people of the cross. So we have 21 Christian Egyptian men in Lebanon killed for no other reason than simply because they love Jesus. And to many of us, we may think of these kinds of things as being isolated occurrences, but don't assume that because we live in our little American Christian bubble of security, don't assume that the way that we've got it here is the way that we've got it everywhere else in the world, because it's really not even close to that. Actually, Christians have always been persecuted and killed for their faith. We see it happen immediately in the New Testament, when if you remember, Jesus ascends and he goes back to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and you have Stephen, the first deacon, who gets up and preaches to the people, and they stone him to death. So almost immediately in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, we see people being killed and persecuted for their faith. So that persecution, we'll admit, has always existed. But CNN, who many of you will know has not traditionally been the most Christian-friendly news organization, they stated that Christian persecution reached a record high in 2015. And they went on to state that there is absolutely no reason to believe that persecution isn't going to intensify in the years to come. So we see this sentiment, and we live in this sentiment that has always existed, but seems to be increasing today, that if you're a Christian, you are to be despised, you are to be looked down upon, you are to be belittled, and you are to be persecuted simply because of your love for Jesus. And what I want to remind us of today is a very basic biblical concept that is taught in many places in God's Word, and this is the, it is this. You, as a Christian, should expect nothing from the world but hatred. You as a Christian should expect nothing from the world but hatred. And we're going to see in our text how Jesus tells us that the world hates us, that we should not expect anything other than hatred to be shown to us from those that are not of Christ, and we're also going to see how we as Christ followers should respond to that hatred. So should we, when you're confronted with hatred because you're a Christian, should you respond in animosity? Should you respond in retaliation? Should you go post some, uh, uh, something anonymous on Facebook, but everybody really knows who you're talking about? You know, should we demand an eye for an eye? Or is there another way? Is there a way that is unique to people of the cross? That's our question. Now let me bring us up to date on the scripture. If you're new with us, know that we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, just verse by verse by verse, over the last several months, actually over a year now. And... Um, uh, 
we need to know that John writes this account so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we would have life in Christ's name. And there are lots of things that I could say that we've seen over the course of this book, but one thing that I will remind you of is we've seen increasing hostility toward Jesus. It began with them just being annoyed by, annoyed by Jesus and his ministry, and it gets to the point where they finally decide that they're going to kill him. And guess what? In just a couple more pages in your Bible, we're going to get to see them get exactly what they want. But right now, you'll remember that Jesus is preparing the disciples by teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we see that he tells them that this hatred that he's experiencing that will result in him being nailed to a cross, this is to be expected in the world that we exist in. So this morning, here's what we're going to see. We're going to start by seeing how Jesus gives us two reasons the world hates us, two reasons the world hates us, and then we're going to see right after that how Jesus tells us exactly how we need to respond when we experience hatred, persecution for our faith and for um, our love of Christ. So let's start by seeing those two reasons the world hates us in the Scripture. Here's the first one. This is the first blank in your sermon outline if you're doing the fill-in thing. The world hates us because we don't belong here. The world hates us because we don't belong here. And I'll prove it. Because look at verses 18 and 19 in your copy of God's Word. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. By the way, when Jesus opens this up and he uses the word if, It's not an if. He's not using an if like, um, you know, it might happen or it might not happen. The way that he uses this is actually more like a definite occurrence. So Jesus is saying this is going to happen. Another thing that you need to know that I think is really significant is in relation to the word hate. Hate is a, a really strong word in the English language, right? I mean, we oftentimes teach our kids not even to use the word until they understand what it means. And, and when you say you hate something, that's about as strong of a statement of disgust as you can make. Well, in the Greek, the word Jesus uses pr- means, means pretty much about the exact same thing. It means to detest. But it has another meaning in that it can also mean to pursue with hatred. So what that means is that it's not just a passive hatred, but it's an active hatred. It's a hatred that hunts people down. So nonetheless, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, look, when the world hates you, and when you experience that, when that hatred pursues you, don't be surprised because it first hated me. And the reason that it hated me, and the reason that it hates you, is because you are not of the world. Now, what does it mean when Jesus tells his disciples that they are not of the world? Well, it's an interesting concept that we see all over the New Testament. If you remember the very first week in the Gospel of John, how does that book open? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you get down to verse 14, it says, the Word came to dwell with us. So, we're finding out right off the beginning that Jesus is not of this world. He came from heaven as God to to live with us and to dwell with us. He created the world according to Colossians, and he came to it but he isn't of it. As we continue through the Bible, we find out that his followers are talked about in a similar fashion. You, if you are a Christ follower, listen to this. You are described in the Bible as being an alien living in a foreign land. You're described as a citizen of heaven. You're described as one who is being changed into the likeness of Christ. You're described as being a child of God rather than a child of the devil. And you're described as one who is awaiting the return of our king who's going to totally transform the world. And because of that, because you are not of this place, because it's not your home, 
it's only natural that those who are of this world wouldn't appreciate you. If you've traveled internationally, then, uh, and if you've spent time like a, away from the Americanized places that we like so much, so if you've gotten off the military base, or if you've um, you know, left the um, resort or whatever, and if you've gotten to actually know people in foreign countries, you might very well get this. I remember when I was um, uh, visiting in Germany, my sister and brother-in-law were stationed there, and I remember going to church there, so this is a German church, and obviously I don't know German, you know, I don't know the language, I don't know the customs, I don't know the mannerisms, I don't know any of that, um, but uh, uh, right in the middle of the fellowship time after the, the worship service like this, when they all get together and eat together, I remember a, a young man, probably 14 years old, um, coming up to me and he began to explain to me why if I was going to come to his country, even on vacation, I better know his language. I better know how to talk to him. I better know everything about their country, even if I'm just going to visit. But why was he upset with me? Well, he was upset with me because I didn't belong there. And he knew it, and everybody knew it. I wasn't supposed to be there. My presence interrupted his life. Well, when God talks about you being not of this world and you being his child, you having your permanent residency in heaven, he also couples that with being a reason why the world is going to despise you. Because you're not like them. At least you're not supposed to be. You're an outcast, right? You're a black sheep of society. You are a spiritual alien. That's what you are in this world. Now, as we move on to the second reason Jesus tells us the world hates us, not only because we don't belong here, but also because we are guilty by association. That's your second reason. Because we are guilty by association. Because looking at verses 20 through 25, look at that scripture. Jesus continues and he says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So let's think about this and let's see how this is a picture of how uh, we are guilty in the world's eyes simply because of our association with Jesus Christ. And you might catch yourself thinking, well, that's just another way of saying what you've already said. There really is a little bit of a difference because if you notice, Jesus points to how whatever he receives, his followers should receive. Like that's the correlation. So he says, verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. So if Christ is your master, we should expect that you're going to receive the same thing as a servant. Verse 21, all these things they will do on account of, do to you on account of my name. Verse 23, the same correlation except for between the Father and the Son. They hate Jesus because he's associated with the Father. So the common thread here is that we are hated not because we're just horrible people, not because we've necessarily done anything wrong. We're not hated because we're hijacking airplanes and flying them into buildings. We're hated because we're associated with Jesus Christ. That's why you're hated. And since we are now identified with Jesus, that hatred is kind of in a practical way applied to us when people see us. 
Now, I'll tell you what I think Jesus is getting at. I I don't think this is a stretch. I I think I could explain this if I had more time. Is that I think Jesus is saying that just as Jesus came and did what? Well, he confronted sin, and just as Jesus called out sin in people's lives, and therefore he was hated, so your life, when you mirror Jesus... And when you take up your cross and follow him, and when you share your faith, what you're doing is you're picking up the spotlight of the cross, and your life and your words and your actions are illuminating the sin in the world. And you may not agree with me on much that I say, but I hope that you will agree with me that there is one thing that people really do not like, and that is for a spotlight to be shined on their sin. So it's not so much that they hate you, necessarily. So feel good, okay? Be encouraged. It's that they hate the fact that your love for Christ does nothing but illuminate and magnify their rebellion against God. So for example, my phone is ancient, all right? It's ancient. Um, The screen's broken now for the second time. It costs you $100 to change the screen on an iPhone. Did y'all know that? So, um, one of you had a C note in your pocket that's burning a hole through it. You wanted to, no, no, we're not, I'm not changing my, uh, phone. We're just going to put up with it because it's so old. Um, it's an iPhone 5C. So it's every bit of two or three years old. That's ancient in the phone world, right? Just absolutely ancient. And what I've noticed about my phone is the display just does not seem as bright as it used to be. Like when we got it two, two or three years ago, it seems like I could be standing out in the sunshine, you know, bright sunny day, standing in the front yard, I could pull it up and I could stalk y'all on Facebook or whatever I was doing, you know, and it was just bright and I could see it perfectly. But now it just seems like it's dulled and it seems like it's not as bright and not as crisp as it used to be, except for when I'm in the dark. So every morning... Um, when I'm getting up, you know, it's dark in our bedroom, and uh, I'm always waking up to my alarm on my phone, so you all know it. It lights up, it plays that annoying music, and as I'm fumbling for that thing on the nightstand next to our bed, um, that screen, when it's dark, is so bright that it will almost hurt your eyes looking at it. Why? Well, because your eyes have adjusted to the darkness, and now the light of that phone stands in so much more contrast than what we're used to. It's kind of the same way with a little flake of dirt or a flake of dust on a piece of white paper. You know, it stands out, doesn't it? Why does it stand out so much? Because the contrast is intensified because of how different the colors are. Well, in the world, we are that light that shines in the darkness. We are that contrasting color. Sesame Street used to have a song that said, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things just doesn't belong. Are you all Sesame Street kids? That was the song, right? Well, just as Christ was one that was singled out in the world, and just as Christ was one that was noticed and whose holiness and perfection stood in stark contrast with the corrupted religions and religious leaders of his day, so if you are his, you are standing in contrast with this world simply because he lives in you. And he shines out into a dark, desperate world. So you look different to the world, don't you? So it's one thing to say, okay, the world hates us. And by the way, when I say the world hates us, I'm not saying every person that's not a Christian you're ever going to come in contact with like hates you and hates Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the world and its ways, the system by which we live, is in a rebellion against God, and therefore it's in rebellion against God's people. So we say, okay, um, you know, it's one thing to say the world hates us. We should, according to Jesus, we should expect that. That's clear. Um, They hated him. They're going to hate us. 
we belong to him. We don't belong to the world. We're guilty simply because we're associated with him. I get it. Now, what do we do about it? In other words, how do we respond to the hatred, the um, animosity? What should, mass, what should kind of muster up in our hearts when you uh, maybe receive a snide comment from someone that's not a Christian about your faith? Well, I think Jesus tells us how to respond to this hatred of the world. And here's how I think he tells us to respond. He says, we are to witness to the truth. That's the way we are to respond. We are to witness to the truth. Because look now, picking up where we left off, look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So remember, two weeks ago, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. He's the one that assists us and helps us and draws us and and lives in us. Now again, he returns to that word. He's going to use it very uh, soon again. I think we're going to get to that text next week, actually. But, But Jesus, remember, preparing the disciples for the day when he's no longer going to be with them, tells them about the Holy Spirit, and is showing them how they're going to respond to the hatred that they're going to experience, and how is it? How are they going to respond? Jesus says that when you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, you'll respond to this hatred by testifying to the truth. You will not only live out your faith in Christ with a world that hates you, but you'll you'll share your faith in Christ with a world that hates you. And I'll tell you what has to be present in this. I think this is an ongoing theme that we've seen, especially over the last three weeks. But here's kind of the main ingredient of what this looks like. Here's the difference in the way the world responds to you as a Christian and the way that you should respond back. The difference is that we have love. And we are told to respond in love. And if you don't believe me, listen to these absolutely outrageous statements in the Bible. And these are nuts if you've never heard these before. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. Jesus said, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Luke 6, 27, Jesus says, but I say to you here, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Later he says, repay no one evil for for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Later he says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Later he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Later he says in the same section of scripture, do not overcome evil Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, remember earlier in the very beginning when I said that much of what this text is teaching us is going to be hard for us to embrace, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an absolutely unequivocal, undeniable call for Christians to live in a world that despises them and that hates them, to live in a world that rejects them and mocks them and belittles them, and rather than retaliating in the flesh and wanting to see their demise, you're called to do what Christ did, and that is to love them. It's insane. Now, I want you to leave here knowing that this is possible. And not only that it's possible to do this, 
I'm sorry. I'm spitting on both of you a lot this morning. You should have moved back and sat somewhere else. Um, <laughs> hey, welcome. First time here? Is it first time here? This is how we treat- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not how we-, we wait until you've been here a couple times, okay, before we say something like that. Uh, but I want you to know that this is not only possible, but I want you to know that this is absolutely necessary for us to live like this. So um, we're going to watch a video, and this video is short. It's only about two minutes long. It's a man that hosts a TV show that broadcasts over Egypt and over all parts of the Middle East. So this guy's a Christian. It's a TV show designed to evangelize, but it's also designed to showcase to the world what real, tangible Christianity looks like in a practical way. So obviously, they're not speaking English in this video, so you're really going to have to pay attention to the subtitles. But you're going to meet a little girl named Miriam. And Miriam has been displaced by the absolute chaos that is occurring in the Middle East right now. She's from Mosul, Iraq, and is now living in what essentially is a refugee camp in another Middle Eastern country. And just so you know, just so you know, I'm not here to, like, beat this horse to death. I know everybody's got really strong opinions about Syrian refugees and refugees from the Middle East in general and what that can do to our country. I'm not here to debate you on that, but I just want you to know some of them are little girls like what you're going to see in Miriam. Some of them. So, um, let's go ahead and we're going to watch this and we're going to see how she thinks we should respond to people that hate us. So you can go ahead and start that video now. So, look, friends, I don't want us to think to ourselves, you know, that's several thousand miles away, and that's a very different setting. But look, if this little girl who just had her life ripped completely apart has absolutely nothing to return to at all, if she can respond in love to those that were seeking to destroy her, and really more than seeking to destroy her, were almost successful in destroying her, if she can respond in love, how much more so should we? And I know what I'm saying is not easy. I know that many of you are like me, where your natural gut reaction is to attack, isn't it? And our natural gut reaction is to protest and to defend ourselves, so I get that. But before any of that, we as people of the cross have to be known as people of love. So, when somebody at work makes a comment about you because you're a Christian and you're not acting and living like everybody else, ask yourself... How can I respond to them in such a way that I am going to have an opportunity to point them toward the cross of Christ? Or when somebody at school looks at you like you're a freak of nature because you have a Bible in your locker or your book bag or you know, you're actually reading your Bible in study hall or something like that, um, don't respond by sticking your nose up at them. Respond by being grieved because they don't know the God that you know. Or when you hear these distant stories of children who live in predominantly Hindu or Muslim countries who aren't allowed to go to the public school system because everybody knows that their family is Christian. Or when we hear stories like the Oregon school shooter who was systematically targeting believers. Or when we hear about Christian churches being burned to the ground in India and Pakistan. Don't be surprised. Be grieved. Please, be grieved, cry for our siblings in Christ, and be equally grieved for those who do not understand what they're doing and who they're rejecting, but don't be surprised. Jesus told us this is the way that it would be, and he told us this 2,000 years ago. Now, I'm going to close in just a second, but before I do, I'm going to share something with you that um, is going to seem a little strange in, in the beginning, but I promise that I'm going somewhere. My uncle was a turkey farmer uh, pretty much his whole life, and I 
can remember as a small child visiting his home and his turkey barns, which were right down the road from his home, and I can remember what the barns would look like when they would receive a fresh load of poults or chicks or, you know, whatever you want to call them. And you would look just as far as the eye could see, and you'd see this sea of little furry, bobbing heads running around, looking for stuff to eat, making lots of noise, and really stinking the place up, if you know what I'm talking about. So my uncle and I, we would walk through the barns, and he could look out, and he could see a little turkey that he just knew, he could tell, would not make it to adulthood. And he knew that this turkey wouldn't make it to adulthood, not because it was physically sick or malnourished. He knew that it was going to die simply because it looked different than the rest. So you might see this little cute little pole that's got a feather sticking up where a feather's not supposed to be sticking up, or it might have a bald spot or, 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 or something like that. And um, it, it would have some type of a, 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 something that had happened to its body. And because it looked different, and for no other reason than because it looked different, the other turkeys would eventually begin attacking it and they'd eventually kill that turkey just because it looked different. And some of you probably are in the midst of attack simply because you look different than the world. No other reason at all. Simply because Christ has called you, he has saved you, he has changed you, and now you stand out in a world that is lost in darkness. So they don't understand you, and they don't understand you because they don't understand your God. So I want to remind you of two equally true biblical concepts this morning. Both of these are equally true. And I think both of these can really do something for us in encouraging us and giving us strength and reminding us of how we respond. First, here's what I want you to know. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. God will right every wrong. You may not see it, but God will right every wrong. Justice will be carried out forever. It will. We're all going to meet the the judgment seat of Christ. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Second, Jesus hanging on the cross, having just endured and, and really still enduring one of the worst punishments that we could ever imagine, what does he pray? He prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So as you continue in life, and I have no idea what you're going to endure, I want you to know something. Um... We need to do our best to have the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand, these people do not understand the God that they have rejected. And as a result, no matter what you're enduring, respond with a little bit of of remorse for them and what's awaiting them. We're going to move to um, a time of of, of singing in just a second, and we're going to... um, just hopefully respond in song to the way that God has saved us and everything that God has done for us in our lives. And my hope is that as we stand and as we sing, we would sing as one body of believers um, willing to uh, take up our cross and follow Christ no matter what that looks like. We're also going to um, take an offering during that song, and there are a couple things that I'll tell you about our offerings. Um, when we do stand and as we're singing, the service hosts are going to come, and they're going to get the baskets, and they're going to be passing them. If you're a guest with us, know that we don't expect you to give. This is the time for our uh, partners and regular attenders of Freshwater to give their tithes and offerings to the, to the work of the ministry here at Freshwater and really all throughout the world. There are four ways that you can give, the first one being in the offering baskets that are going to come by. The second way
way is in the foyer with the giving box. You can drop your, your, your tithe, your offering in there. The third way is with the giving kiosk, also in the foyer, which you can give by debit or credit card. And then the fourth way is, of course, online at freshwaterjc.com. So I'll pray for us, and then after I'm done praying, we will sing, and um, the service host will come and begin passing the offering basket. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father and Lord, we thank you, God, for loving us. We thank you for the fact that we get to follow you in everything that we do. We thank you for the fact that um, you've warned us ahead of time of what exists in this world and what, is, what, um, what we're going we're gonna to endure sooner or, or later at some time in our life, Lord. And um, my prayer is that we would not be surprised. My prayer is that we would be, we would be grieved that we would be sad, but that, Lord, we wouldn't be surprised. And I ask that you would give us just an extra measure of grace so that we could respond um, in that situation in love and by testifying to the truth of, of the good news of your gospel. That's my prayer for us this morning. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.